who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You're listening to Inherited Danger, book two of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 19. If you wish the devout to ingest poison, wrap it in pomp and seal it with ideology. Vaughn of the Elsix. Katrin, Rolf, and Benjen worked on the ox cart in the afternoon sun. The cart was in poor condition, and one of the wheels was seized. After they removed the wheel and greased the hub, it moved more freely, but was still less than perfect. Katrin was glad to have the cart, as it would make their travels much easier, and she hoped it would help them appear more like locals. Colette folded the blankets from the loft and insisted they would make a good cushion for the splintery wooden seat. Their kindness in such a trying time spoke volumes for their generous souls, and Katrin vowed to never forget them and all they had done for her. When the cart was deemed ready for travel, Rolf led them to a pasture on the outskirts of the farmstead. On his way, he retrieved a bushel basket of hard corn still on the cob and he handed an ear to Katrin. Take this out to him. Hold your ground now. He's harmless, Rolf said with a mischievous grin, and Katrin reluctantly slipped through the fence. Curly stood at the far end of the field, tall as a horse and half again as long, and twice as big around. His shaggy coat added to his girth, making him look like a barn on legs. As soon as Katrin stood within the fence, he turned and charged, building momentum as he came. Afraid she would be run down, Katrin did as Rolf had instructed. She held her ground, albeit with her eyes closed. Heavy breathing and the pounding of his hooves grew closer, but just before she thought Curly would trample her, he stopped. When Katrin opened her eyes, he stood before her, eyeing her with one eye. The other stared off to her right. 
he snorted and nudged her with his broad head, and only then did she recall the ear of corn she held at her side. As she extended it to him, he grabbed it greedily from her hand. He shoved his ear into her hand as he chewed, nearly knocking her over. She scratched behind his ear and he leaned into her, groaning with pleasure. The ear of corn kept him busy for only a moment, and he nudged her hands for more. As she turned to walk back to the fence, he followed on her heels, occasionally nudging her from behind. I think he likes you, Rolf said with a chuckle, and Katrin stuck her tongue out at him, which set him to laughing from his belly. He seems like a friendly beast, Benjen said. We can't thank you enough for your generosity. It's the least we can do. Katrin slid back through the fence, and they retrieved the ox cart. Rolf brought a yoke and lines from the barn, and Curly paced the fence excitedly, rattling the gate as he passed it. But as Rolf opened the gate, a bell rang out in the distance. Its peal sent a chill down Katrin's spine and raised the hair on her arms. Citizens call! echoed across the distance. Citizens call! Despite Curly's protests, Rolf closed the gate. Well, let's see what news the crier brings, he said, and Benjen nodded, showing no signs of concern. Katrin followed nervously as they crossed the fields to a small town. The call for citizens continued even after they arrived, giving those in more remote areas the chance to congregate with the rest. A large crowd had gathered around the crier, who stood atop a stage of crates draped with a red cloth. Good citizens, I greet you with news both grand and dire, the crier said with a dramatic flourish. In the south of Falk has been found the likeness of God and Goddess, the very symbol of the Jean, with a life its own. It glows from within, proof it is a divine gift from the heavens, and we rejoice. His words were met with a muted hush, but he continued on, apparently undaunted by the lack of applause. The faithful are called to the great city of Adderhold to gaze upon God and goddess, to worship in person. Failure to do so will be considered insult and heresy. Prepare yourselves, pilgrims, for Istra and Vestra call you to them, and only the masses can assuage their thirst for worship. A loud murmur rushed through the crowd. Few seemed pleased by the prospect. Angry and frightened faces surrounded them, and the air grew foul with tension. The charge of it weighed on Katrin, as the masses broadcast their anxiety, and waves of it battered her senses. She breathed in deeply to stave off the nausea, and the crier waved his arms for silence. The next is sad beyond reasoning, and I ask that the weak of heart be seated, the crier continued waiting, it seemed, more for dramatic pause than anything else. The armies have returned from the Godfist with only three ships. The rest were lost. The Herald Witch laid waste to the Armada, killing our people and her own without discretion. She has betrayed God, Goddess, the Greatland, and the Godfist with her actions, and her own 
people have cast her into exile. The remains of our armies took mercy on the good people of the Godfist and helped in what ways they could before they left in pursuit of the renegade Harold Witch. Katrin swayed on her feet, along with many of those around her, but for different reasons. She knew it to be false. All of it. And she was appalled by the depth of the Jean's deceit. They lied to their own people because they feared the truth. Rolf leaned on Katrin and nearly fell, and she supported his weight. His face was contorted into a mask of pain and grief, and Katrin's fury rose higher. The crier's lies caused him needless pain, and she resented it deeply. She had set the armies free, but the crier's words made it sound as if she had slaughtered everyone. Go, citizens! Prepare yourselves for the final triumph of the Jean! Together we shall beat back the Herald Witch, and we will prevail! To Adderhold with you, one and all! The divinity shall arrive at Adderhold by spring, and all are required to attend. In their light shall the rifts in the Greatland be healed, and the enemy crushed. Until I see you there, I bid you blessings in the light of Istra, Vestra, and the Jean Church. What do they expect us to do? Eat stones? Someone in the crowd asked. How can we leave our fields and homes and expect not to starve? The crier had no answers for them. Instead, he just packed his stage cloth and moved on to the next town. The crowd milled in confusion. No one seemed to know what to do, and some seemed on the verge of panic. The false news of the army's losses had had the most devastating effect. Many wept in mourning for family members they presumed dead. Katrin, Rolf, and Benjen walked back to the farmstead in oppressive silence. Rolf's shoulders occasionally shook with sobs, and Katrin sensed that he dreaded relaying the news to Colette. She stood in the barnyard when they returned, and she dropped to her knees when she saw Rolf's face. She had no need to hear the words from him. He ran to her, and they clung to each other for support. It was a gut-wrenching sight, especially when one knew the news was false. Katrin had an enormously difficult time holding her tongue, but Benjin's pointed stare urged her to do just that. Rolf helped Colette into the house, and he returned a moment later. Mother needs a rest, he said. Let's get you settled while I've still the energy to move. They opened the pasture gate, and Curly nearly charged to the ox cart. Thinks he's going to town. He's well known, and the children always bring him corn. It can make for a wild ride. But he does no harm, Rolf said, and while Benjen loaded their gear, he pulled Katrin aside. I've one last gift for you. He led her into the barn and pulled a heavy coat from a hook in the feed stall. This belonged to one of my sons, Martik, he said, his lip quivering. He was studying architecture before the Jean came. He used to say one day he'd be the builder of great things. He won't be needing this jacket anymore, and I want you to have it. Keep the hood up, and it'll be harder to guess your age. 
I hope it helps to ease the troubles of your journeys in some way. Will you go to Adderhold? she asked. Not me. Boil the Jean for taking my boys. And boil the Herald Witch for killing them. Boil them all, he said, his face going crimson. His words struck Katrin like a physical blow. Though she understood his reasons for saying them, they stung and shamed her. She longed to tell him the truth, to tell him his sons most likely lived as citizens of the Godfist. Would he even believe her if she told him? Tortured by the sight of his tears, she could take it no longer. Do you trust me? she asked, and he appraised her with his eyes. I, Alma, I trust you, he said, and the use of her pseudonym shamed her. He trusted her despite her deception, and she wondered if she deserved his trust. The words you heard today were false. The Herald did not kill all the men who did not return. She freed them. Most of them still live, though they face a harsh winter with little food. I expect the majority will survive, she said, and she felt as if a vice had been released from her chest. The giving of truth allowed her to breathe again. Still, she knew she had just risked everything. Rolf's face was impossible to read as he contemplated her words, and she waited anxiously for some response. How do you know this? Tell me true. We've not been completely honest with you about our origins, I admit, but I would not deceive you about such a thing. I know these things because I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. So you're saying my boys live? His simple question impaled her. She could not have felt his pain more keenly, and it left her rattled. I cannot say for certain some men were killed during the invasion. I thank you for your words, Elma. You'd best get going. Rolf said as he noticed Benjen with an angry look on his face, and Katrin wasn't even certain he believed her. Acting as if nothing had happened, she and Benjen left as quickly as they could, which turned out to be faster than Katrin had expected. As soon as Rolf untied Curly, the ox charged toward town. Katrin and Benjen bounced along in the ox cart, barely able to keep themselves from flying off. The charge did not last long, though, and Curly slowed, unable to maintain the pace for a long distance. The jostling became bearable, and Katrin glanced at Benjen, who had not said a word. You are your father's daughter. Of that there can be no doubt, he said, shaking his head. He was in so much pain because of the crier's lies. I couldn't let him believe his sons were all dead at my hand, when they most likely live. It would have been too cruel. Benjen didn't harass her any further about it, and they rode in silence for a while, heading on a westerly course. Do you think we should make for Adderhold? she asked, if for no other reason than to break the uncomfortable silence. I suppose we haven't much choice. There's little chance of us getting anywhere near the statue while it's being transported. Though, I'm not sure we have any chance of getting near it when it arrives at Adderhold, either. 
we'd have to pass through the lands held by your family and those held by their rivals, the Kites. A more dangerous path I cannot imagine. Do you know what you will do when we get there? I have no idea, but I must try. It would be cowardly of me to turn my back on these people. The people of the Greatland would pay the greatest price for the Jean's folly, and I cannot allow that to happen. I just hope we're right about the true nature of the statue. I can find no way to prove our beliefs, or disprove the beliefs of the Jean. I suppose I'll have to act on faith alone. Blind faith, Benjen said. Blind faith indeed, Katrin said. She hoped some other solution or some bit of proof that would allow her to believe more firmly would present itself, but none came. Following a narrow cart path, they passed local farmers on their way. Folks waved as they passed, and they returned the waves, trying to appear as if they belonged there. Benjen urged Curly to pick up the pace. Curly would have none of it, though and set his own pace, despite Benjen's clucks, chirps, and more than a few smacks on the rear with the lines. As night fell, they entered more heavily settled lands, and the lights of a distant town shone on the horizon. Reflections of the lights could be seen in the wide river that lay on the far side of town. A copse of oak and elm stood on a nearby hill, and Benjen steered Curly toward it as best he could. Curly resisted his direction, and they nearly rode past the trees, but Benjen managed to get him stopped. At the bottom of the hill, Benjen handed Katrin the lines and climbed from the cart. After retrieving an ear of corn, he lured Curly into the trees. Curly chewed noisily on the corn while Benjen tied him off to a tree. Once Curly was unhooked and taken care of, they set up a small camp and ate sparingly from their provisions. They lit no fire for fear of drawing attention to themselves, and they spent a long night huddled together for warmth. The following day was bright and clear and the morning sun warmed the air enough that they could no longer see their own breath before them. The road into town was congested with wagon carts and hundreds on foot. Katrin and Benjen blended into the crowd as best as they could and eventually made their way into town. The streets were jammed with pedestrians and roaming vendors. Curly was ill-suited for tight quarters. He stepped on toes and knocked over vendors' carts, leaving behind a trail of angry people wherever he went. Benjen sought out the market proper and spotted a man selling livestock. It'd be nice to ride all the way to Adderhold, but I think we should sell Curly while we can. Major bridges in the Greatland bear a toll, and we'll need coin to cross, he said. Katrin didn't like the idea one bit but she could think of no other way to get coin short of stealing, which she was unwilling to do. They approached the livestock vendor, and he appraised them as they moved closer. Katrin suspected he saw an easy profit as he moved into the crowd to greet them. That beast has lived beyond its years, Yusuf would say, he said, shaking his head. Not fit for plow or plate. Don't think he can use that one. 
No, Yusuf doesn't. These days there's little to be had, Benjen replied. Most would be glad to have such a fine beast. Perhaps there are others here who'd be more interested, he said, casting his gaze around the market. Katrin searched for other vendors selling livestock, and while she saw a few goats and a handful of chickens, no one else had large animals for sale. Try if you'd like, but anyone here will tell you that Yusuf is the man to see, the vendor said as he spread his arms wide and bowed deeply. And what would Yusuf offer for this fine beast and cart? Yusuf has no need for the cart, but he supposes he could dispose of it without a great deal of trouble. Yusuf offers a silver. Good luck to you, Yusuf, Benjen said, and he chirped to Curly, who completely ignored him. Don't be hasty now. A silver for a beast that appears to be deaf as well as blind is a fair offer. But Yusuf is a generous man. A silver and two coppers. Three silvers. Three silvers? Well, that's robbery, friend. Surely Yusuf deserves to eat. Two silvers. Three, Benjen said, and Yusuf appeared wounded by his firm stance. He made no counteroffer. Instead, he just shook his head as if in deep thought. Perhaps now's not the time to sell. Benjen continued. Prices will only go higher as the pilgrimage begins, and we've nothing but time. Perhaps the traders in the next town will be more generous. Thieves, they are. Why, you would have to travel all the way to Adderhold to find a better offer. And even then you take your chances. You seem like good people, and Yusuf has a soft place in his heart, he does. Three silvers. Benjen climbed from the cart and shook his hand. Deal. As soon as the coins were in Benjen's hands, Yusuf seemed to forget that he and Katrin existed, and he began hawking Curly as if he were a prize bull. Who will give me five silvers for this fine beast? Full of vigor, he is. And Yusuf will even throw in this finely crafted cart. He shouted into the crowd, even as they unloaded their packs. While Katrin stuffed the blankets from the seat into her pack, the wind blew the hood away from her face, and she hastily pulled it back up. She and Benjen shuffled through the crowd, and Benjen continued to affect his limp and lean on the staff. It did him little good in the jostling crowd, and they were nearly knocked off their feet several times within the sea of people. The lack of respect these people showed one another was remarkable. It was as if they were so great in number that none of them mattered as individuals. Each person was just another body congesting the streets. A long line snaked away from the base of the bridge, and a dozen guards stood at the height of the span, holding up the mass of people crossing. Fear gripped Katrin at the sight of them, and she cast Benjen a furtive glance but he seemed unconcerned. Toll collectors, he said, and his statement was confirmed as she watched the soldiers accept coins from each person who passed. They waited as patiently as they could in the line, but it moved dreadfully slowly, and Katrin began to see the wisdom in Benjen's decision to sell Curly. It would have been difficult to maneuver him through the crowd, not to mention the coin they needed to pay the toll. 
When they reached the highest part of the span, they were packed tightly against the other people waiting to cross. The stone beneath Katrin's feet seemed to move from side to side, and she feared the bridge would collapse from the weight of so many people. Her feet sore from standing so long, she shifted from one to the other to ease the pain, but it provided only a small amount of relief. The line continued to move inexorably forward, and the scrutiny of the guards drew ever closer. Katrin felt trapped. If the guards somehow realized who she was, she would have no way to escape. The crowd packed tightly on all sides, and panic threatened to relieve her of her sanity. Benjen seemed to sense her distress, for he took her hand and gave it a small squeeze. Just a little farther, little miss. Hold on for a while longer and this'll all be behind us. Try to imagine yourself in the middle of an open field, he said. Katrin tried to take his advice, but the mass of energies around her assaulted her even with her eyes closed. She could sense them. She could feel their impatience. Their smell filled her nostrils and she thought she might be sick. In an effort to stem off the nausea, she concentrated on her breathing, which had become short and rapid. Deep breaths probably would have settled her stomach if it were not for the smell of unwashed bodies. When they finally reached the guards, Katrin's hair was soaked with sweat, and her hands trembled. Benjen approached a guard who gave him a bored glance. Copper apiece, he said. Benjen handed him a silver and pointed to himself and Katrin, as if he were mute. The guard was obviously disgusted to have to make change, and he sighed heavily as he dug into his pouch. After a moment, he produced a handful of coppers and shoved them into Benjen's hand. Next time, bring coppers, he said, and turned his attention to the next in line. The line on the far side of the toll moved rapidly, and in a few short moments they gained the far shore. Katrin sucked in the cool air as if she had been drowning, and Benjen dragged her off to one side. Calm yourself. We're not out of danger yet. There are more soldiers about. I'll be fine in a moment, she said, and she felt her panic begin to recede. They were across the bridge, and though she felt she was stepping from one precipice to another, she was almost accustomed to it. It had begun to feel normal. Rats scurried at the edge of the torchlight, and the shadowy form of Chase's guide filled most of the dank tunnel they were following. The land surrounding New Moon Bay was riddled with sewers and passages, and this one was supposed to take Chase to a ship. After days of hiding in cellars and crawling through sewers, Chase was looking forward to being back at sea. Very little had been said during his travels. Brother Vaughn had made most of the arrangements. Chase didn't even know the name of his guide, or what ship he was being taken to, but he made himself keep walking, despite the uncertainty. Katrin needed him, and he would not fail her. The air became less foul as they walked, and began to smell more of salt than sewage. When they reached the end of the tunnel, his guide simply pointed to a familiar-looking ship in the harbor, 
and turned and walked back into the tunnel. The water was far below the tunnel exit, and Chase stared down at the waves crashing on the rocks, hoping the water would be deep enough where he landed. Before his courage fled, he took a running leap into the harbor and struck the water hard. As he reached the surface, wiping the water from his eyes, he heard voices. Who goes there? barked a voice. Coming toward Chase was a small, rowing craft, filled with uniformed men. Taking a deep breath, he slipped beneath the dark water. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out patioracket.com.